Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Two hours of cable company complaint-free radio coming your way right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. I'm Curtis Rogers, joined as always by my guy Taylor Jacobs. Taylor, we've got our cable situations all ready to go for tomorrow. Yeah, we're we're cutting the cord early on that conversation because uh, we're all set. Look... I think a lot of people who listen to the show know that uh, I will be very excited for the game tomorrow. Maybe more invested than other people here in the building at 710 ESPN Seattle. Um, so, yeah, I, I made sure a few weeks ago that I was going to have access to a, an antenna, CBS All Access. You know, there's multiple ways to watch this Super Bowl, which is fantastic. There are. There are multiple ways to watch it. They would not have, uh, you know, they got to make sure their bases are covered. Heck, I would even watch mm-hmm. it on, uh, I think, uh, Univision has it, the uh, Spanish feed or something like that. So there are plenty of ways to watch the Super Bowl tomorrow. Uh, but if you want to listen to it, well, uh, you, m- you might want to listen to us talk about it here because we've got two hours of Super Bowl preview. We've also got a lot of Seahawks talk coming your way and uh, also taking a look at a big move that was made in the NFC West earlier this week. But yeah, this is Seattle Sports Saturday with you every single Saturday from 11 to 1 here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And Taylor, I mean, you've got Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. You couldn't ask for a better quarterback matchup. Maybe when it when it's all said and done, maybe the best quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history, which is maybe hyperbole now, but who knows what Patrick Mahomes might do in his career? We all know what Tom Brady has done in his career. Uh, I have I, I'm excited for it, but it feels like the build up to tomorrow has been a little quiet. I think it's been a little bit more subdued than usual. Where do you think the the hype is right now? The 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 hype meter heading into tomorrow. Well, I think one thing you have to take into account is obviously there's not a lot of media there in person. They weren't inviting thousands of international media members and things like that. So the city of Tampa itself is quiet. So, you know, not having the media row where they, Curtis, you were there literally one year ago today, right? Walking around, you see it's a different sort of setup where they have guests sort of just going through the gauntlet. So you're hearing from you know, hundreds of different people from all these different perspectives where you can truly get everyone in one location at one time. So that's where a lot of the hype comes and the storylines and the fun and the media day where people dressing up, you get some of that weirdness that you didn't have in years past. So, you know, that I, I think that's the big, the big factor. And also look, Tom Brady is a winner. The chiefs, as long as Mahomes has been the quarterback there, they've been winners. So, Talking about two winners, there's not even though Tom Brady is an underdog, is he like rooting for the Buccaneers? People who are like, I'm going to be edgy. I'm going to root against the favorites and root for the Bucks. Like, oh, good job! You rooted for a guy who's won uh, two hands worth of Super Bowl rings. Like, come on, what are we doing here? He's not an underdog, so I think that's I, yeah. also where you get a lot of that. 
yeah, I think that is a good point. We do we do know pretty much what we're getting in both of these quarterbacks and, and pretty much what we're getting in both of these teams. The Chiefs have been the juggernaut over the last two seasons, and Tom Brady has been – this will be number 10 for him. So there isn't really anything new we can learn about the main players in this game so that kind of leads to, I guess, a little bit less of a buildup to what is going to be. I think it's going to be an incredible game tomorrow. I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. These are two uh, two teams with explosive offenses, and, and the Bucks defense has been really, really good uh, over the last couple of weeks as they've made their way through the NFC playoffs. So we've got plenty to look forward to to this one coming up in this hour. Uh, how close are the Chiefs? to becoming the villains of the NFL. They're the darlings right now, but as we know, with teams that continue to win and win and win, just the cycle of sports turns that heroic build into a villainous uh, villainous role at some point. So how close are the Chiefs to becoming that in the NFL world? But before we get there, uh, also look at the Seahawks offense, how multiple people involved with it want it to attack, but does the guy in charge of it all, does he want it to look that way? We'll get into that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But before we do all of that, let's get into this hour's Big Three. Number one. Well, that's a great transition into the the big week, the, the big story for the Seahawks this week again. A lot of people talking. Russell Wilson out there, DK Metcalf, Shane Waldron on here on our own very station talking for the first time, not in a public sort of media scrum sense. Um, so we'll get into some of those cuts here in a second. But like we, we mentioned, Russell Wilson joining Colin Cowherd, big interview of the week. They talked about the offensive struggles towards the end of the year, and he also mentioned about how much longer he'd like to play. And his quote, ultimately, I want to play another 10 to 15 years. And he's been thinking about that daily, and he's been putting that into his plan. So could Russell be the quarterback in Seattle for that entire time? Would you even want 10 years from now Russell Wilson leading this team? Well, a lot of it might have to do with the offensive coordinator and what this sort of offensive pivot looks like. Shane Waldron, like I mentioned, joined 710 ESPN Seattle this week. We're going to hear from him in about 10 minutes. And we'll also hear from DK Metcalf clarifying some of his comments from last week about this offense and struggling to be able to go deep. Like we said, we're going to dive into some of those cuts from the Seahawks players in Super Bowl Media Week in about 10 minutes. Number two. Well, it's not the Seahawks specifically, but the NFC West will look a little different next season thanks to the aggressiveness shown by the Rams front office, swapping starting quarterbacks with the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff, he's out. So are two first-round picks and a third-rounder in exchange for longtime Detroit starter Matthew Stafford. Now, the immediate winner of this trade, it's got to be the Rams. They get the better of the two quarterbacks. But Detroit, they are getting an incredible jump start on their rebuilding efforts with that draft hall receiving, or that they're receiving from L.A. Uh, and they can start that rebuild under notorious kneecap biter Dan Campbell. So how does the NFC West look now after the first major move of the offseason? Do you expect any other teams in the division, whether it be the Seahawks, Cardinals, or 49ers, to counter with something of their own? We'll discuss all of that later on in the show today. Number three. 
Well, Husky fans, cover your ears because we're going to talk about how your basketball program is similar to a children's book by the name of the Stinky Cheese Man. Because boy, oh boy, that program is awful right now. And this past week, uh, falling to Oregon State in a in a complete dismantling, ninety one seventy one, falling to the Beavs. Who aren't a bad basketball program, but bad. That's a bad scoreline for this Husky team. Looking, scrambling for answers. And it it may come from the top. And it may stink from the top down. And, and Mike Hopkins, unfortunately, might be looking for a new job soon if he continues this losing way on Montlake. But different story on the other side of the mountains for the, the, the guys from the Palouse. Is the Cougs battling with the Ducks in a really hard-fought game. Going down to the wire, but squeaking it out in the end, 74-71 over the Ducks. So a good victory for the Cougs. Get back to their winning ways as as they've been having a surprisingly successful season so far. Um, And Gonzaga, we all know how successful they've been, but had a rough one in the first half. Trailed Pacific by a point, 32-31, but in the end, showed their true grit and showed why they're one of the best teams in the country, winning 76-58 over the Tigers. So UW Oregon square off today at one and the Cougs and Beavs square off at 3 p.m. That is this hour's big three. Yeah, the Huskies have been just absolutely brutal this season. $12 million buyout, though, if they do want to move on from Mike Hopkins. Maybe you shouldn't have extended him when he was winning with Lorenzo Romar's guys. Hindsight being 2020, uh, you know, makes those decisions look a lot Dumber than uh, maybe it was at, at the time, but not a good look right now with its, with the program struggling the way it is. Some honorable mentions, though, uh, a legend in the city of Seattle. Uh, in my opinion, the greatest to ever dribble a basketball in this town. Sue Bird, she'll return to the Seattle Storm for her 18th season. All have been spent here in the city of Seattle. And then a big contributor to the two title teams of recent years in Seattle, Alicia Clark. She signs with the Washington Mystics. Uh, They'll definitely miss her defensive abilities in that starting lineup. Um, And the Mariners equipment truck on its way to Arizona for the start of spring training, which uh, we found out this week that it will start on time. February 17th is when we can expect pitchers and catchers to report uh, down in Peoria for the Mariners. And the National Signing Day, the late signing day, was this past Wednesday, but the biggest fish in the pond still has not signed. That'll be Eastside Catholic defensive tackle JT Tui Molau from Eastside there. He's got the Huskies in his Final Four. I believe he's got Alabama, Ohio State, and Oregon in that Final Four grouping as well. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see where he signs. He's got a a target date of April uh, when he'll make that decision. And then one of our very own, uh, Jake Heaps, he is going to be competing on American Ninja Warrior. I believe the taping of that will be next month, and the airing of it will be sometime during the summer on NBC. So uh, we're super pumped for him. We're also super pumped for his falling potential and, and what may come of those videos and just how we can you know give him a hard time because we love to do that. Yeah, as a uh, frequent creator of Jake Heap's GIFs, um, I would say this is going <laughs> to provide some great – ammunition going forward would love to see a nice little belly flop into the water 
Look, we at some point we're going to have to break it down. The stages get really tough, right? And some of them oh, are yeah. built for for gymnasts, not quite ex quarterbacks. Not that he's a bad athlete, but we're gonna have to take some um, some uh, predictions on where Jake finishes if he finishes uh, his run for American Ninja Warrior. I think the goal he has set for himself is to outlast Ryan Roland Smith's time. Uh, Mariners okay. analyst who was also on American Ninja Warrior. So if he can beat out the hyphen, I think Jake will will feel a little bit better about his performance. But uh, yeah, that'll that's coming up this summer. So watch out. Uh, make sure your cable is is all taken care of there. But uh, coming up in this hour, how close are the Chiefs to becoming the villains of the NFL? But before we get into that conversation, the Seahawks they want to attack on offense, or at least the main players do. But will Pete Carroll let them? We dive into some sound next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in this hour, we'll take a look at how the Matthew Stafford trade impacts the NFC West heading into this 2021 offseason. What will be the ripple effect from that move? How do the Seahawks, Cardinals, and 49ers answer it? That's coming your way in about 25 minutes from now. But this is Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And, and Taylor, this week we heard from plenty of Seahawks as they were making the rounds in the media. Shane Waldron uh, coming on with 710 ESPN this week with Danny Gallant. If you missed any of that conversation, make sure you check it out on the podcast page, 710sports.com. But I think one of the keys that stood out to me this week was how much of sort of the main figures of Seattle's offense are emphasizing an attacking mode uh, with that offense, whether it be Shane Waldron, who talked about it, Russell Wilson, who was on with Colin Cowherd, DK Metcalf, who I think was on with The Ringer and, and a couple other places as well this week. But uh, an attacking style of offense is something that, we definitely saw in the first, you know, five, six weeks of the season. And then for whatever reason, whether it be the turnovers that came of it or, or just what have you, people's confidence was being shot or whatever. It wasn't there in the season second half. And it cost the Seahawks dearly to the point where they just got blown out in the wild card round against the Rams didn't even advance in the playoffs. So Taylor, when you look at what was said this week about the Seahawks and, and sort of the emphasis being placed on an attacking style of, of offense, do you think with the pieces currently in place they'll be able to do that in 2021? Gosh, I mean, look, there's a big free agency draft period we have to go through, and it feels like the my answer should be yes, right? And I don't know why I'm struggling to answer yes, but it 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 feels like this team still has something that's not quite right. And we're going to see Shane Waldron and what what he brings to the team. So there's still some some people at the top that have something to show us before we can really figure this out. But you know, there's questions about Chris Carson. There's questions about a couple of the linemen. There's four draft picks, so there's not a lot of capital there. There's not a lot of capital in the cap space in the room that they have to work with. And you know, you you hear Jake Heaps and Stacy previewing some of the potential free agents on their show and talking about Tooney, and it's like, will they even have enough money or capital to go after players like that? So 
I guess my answer would be no. And it feels really weird to say that as a team that had the most points scored on offense in Seahawks history, a quarterback in Russell Wilson that's phenomenal at the top of his game. DK Metcalf and Tyler uh, Tyler Lockett, two of the best receivers and one of the best duos of receivers in the league. And yet I still feel like I need to see a little bit more before I can buy in. What about you, Curtis? Yeah, I, I think if this offense is going to truly get to an attacking style like what we've seen in L.A. over the last couple of years, they're going to need, I think, even more help in that wide receiver group because – Lockett and Metcalf are incredible. They both over a thousand yards. Lockett had over a hundred receptions this last season. But after those two, who is your number three guy? And it was David Moore for a for a brief portion of twenty twenty, but he never really got over uh, you know, sort of the the humps that have left him sort of not reaching that full potential that we've you know, have seen from him at times during his Seahawks career. Uh, you know, don't get me started on Greg Olson. We all know how that ends. Uh, oh, easy, Curtis. <laughs> easy there. We don't need another blow up. But I agree with but, you. What a waste. Yeah, absolutely. But there was just nobody that emerged as a number three option for Russell Wilson this season because we all know defenses are going to key on DK and, and on Tyler. And when those guys weren't performing – uh, to you know the P or you know when when their numbers weren't matching you know the kind of things that we've seen from them this season, I would say around like weeks ten through you know the end of the regular season, there was nobody else that Russ could really rely upon in the passing game. I think that's going to be a huge emphasis this off season is finding somebody that can sort of ease the you know or can be a safety blanket for Russ when those two options aren't there. And they were, you know, banking on Josh Gordon being that, but that never, that never materialized because of, you know, his inability to, uh, you know, stay on the straight and narrow with the NFL. And now all of a sudden the Seahawks kind of find themselves in this, you know, weird position with no cap space or barely any cap space and barely any draft capital, the two spots you don't want to be in heading into an offseason. Now, they may get a little bit of a reprieve on the cap space if that number does get up to $185 million, which would add about $10 million to Seattle's uh, $4 million in space right now, which is, is very workable. But I, I look at, you know, the main pieces of this offense, Russ and DK probably being the two most important, both of them this week said that they didn't like how the offense was passive at the end of the season. They didn't like how it wasn't very aggressive. Cut number two, here's Russell Wilson on with Colin Cowherd this week talking about just why he thought the offense got passive. You know, we had such an electric, amazing start at the beginning of the year. I mean, we were able to do everything. We went for it every game, every every play, every possession, everything else. We had some bumps in the road. I, I could have played better. I should have played better. I, I can do my part, too obviously as well and I think I think what happened though was is that you know we had several guys go down up front we you know we didn't have our, our starters necessarily and everything else but also as our defense continued to play better that's that's time for us to really take off and to keep going and and to keep you know preparing at the highest level and so that's something that we really wanted to be able to do throughout the rest of the season unfortunately we didn't we didn't go for it as much I don't think uh, I think we got a little bit passive and we got to make sure that never happens again and making sure that never happens again, that's going to be Shane Waldron's job. And, and Waldron this week in his, I believe this is from his introductory press conference, talking about how he wants to attack not just vertically but horizontally as well. Cut number one. 
we want to be balanced. And, and when I talk about, you know, that not being just uh, balanced doesn't mean conservative. I'm just saying in the terminology or the way people might take certain words, you know, balance to me is, is making the defense defend every blade of grass. And so there'll, there'll be that, that uh, what we feel would be a good mix of uh, run and pass. Within that, there, there's going to be chances to take shots down the field. Um, there's going to be chances to, uh, to really get the ball distributed uh, horizontally and vertically as we approach our, our preparation of how we want to build this thing. So Taylor, you hear those two cuts from from Russ and from Shane Waldron, and it's one thing to say it, but do you think Pete and just where he is at as a head coach, do you think he's going to allow for it? Yeah, well, look, I think we're going to find out the answer to that question really soon because look, if they pay Chris Carson the the ransom, the king's ransom he'll ask for, as he should. He, um it's going to look a lot different, right? They're not going to be able to go after another one of those options and then try and improve and maybe find someone that's a little bit better than Demo to be that number three receiver because he had a great start to the season. And if you were to average it out over the year, I know you don't play that way. He had a fantastic year as a number three receiver, but you look at Tyler Lockett and, and DK Metcalf in comparison and they were, they had monster seasons compared to him. So to me, we're going to find out really soon whether or not they're invested in the passing game and finding that third option and investing in either another tight end to come in and help with Disley and Hollister or to sign another receiver like that, or are they going to go Chris Carson and give him the money and say he's the third option for this offense and that he should be the, the there should be check downs to him. You need to find ways to work him into this offense a little bit more creatively but he's going to be that number three option for Russ. Great text coming in to the Fizzy Hard Seltzer text line from the 253. They say, when my 8-year-old daughter throws a ball to my 11-year-old son and he drops it, she calls him Greg Olson. Love that. you got to love that, 253. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <sighs> Teach him early. Teach him right. Teach him early. Exactly. Raise them right. And you're doing it very, very right there, 253. Uh, but coming up in this hour, we're still going to get to that Matthew Stafford conversation. How does that trade impact the rest of the NFC West? What does that pecking order look like now with a you know rocket arm being added to that Rams offense? But up next, the Kansas City Chiefs, winners of last year's Super Bowl. They've been the darlings of the NFL world. For coming up on about two years now, how much longer do they have in that role? And are they going to be villains pretty soon here? We get into that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's always mo- more fun being the villain. I think that's the role that everybody kind of relishes being because. It's us against the world. There's nobody but us. Only we have each other's backs. And I wonder how much longer the Kansas City Chiefs will have as the darlings of the NFL before 
that is the mindset that they and their fan base take on because it happens all the time. It happened. I think it happened here in Seattle during the Legion of Boom years for sure. I, I think heading into Super Bowl Forty Eight, they were very much, uh, you know, the darlings of the NFL world. Uh, you know, a Smash Mouth defense. Everybody talking as much, you know, trash as they did. And then they win the Super Bowl, and they go to Super Bowl Forty Nine, and it just kind of felt like it was us against the world at that point. Taylor, you having Chiefs fandom in your blood, I think can speak to this maybe better than anybody else this week that we've heard on this topic here. But Kansas City is this close to going back-to-back and after having gone 50 years without a Super Bowl title, they could go back-to-back. Is that fan base ready to be perceived as villains when, I mean, they're just Midwest folk. They are, you know, as down as down home as it gets. But all of a sudden now, the sports world may turn on them. Yeah, I think the, the Chiefs fans and the Hawk fans are really similar in their nature of how they support their team. They love, like you could go on a Sunday, you know, through certain parts in Seattle and there's not a, not a soul on the street, right? Because they're all watching the Hawks game. And the same thing goes for the Chiefs fans in Kansas City and Kansas and Missouri. And, you know, I don't think they're ready. I don't think they're ready, and I think they will be thrust into that position if they win this game. And that after back-to-back, the conversation shifts, right? Because then it's real. Back-to-back is a real – not a lot of NFL teams go to back-to-back Super Bowls, let alone win back-to-back Super Bowls. Again, as we know here in Seattle, how difficult it is. So the Chiefs fans aren't ready, and especially with a guy like Patrick Mahomes who is so likable and who – who who just seems to be getting more and more likable as he goes on and the the whole country seems to be enjoying him and his game that it's going to be a shock to the system and a lot of fans are going to struggle with it but a, some are going to lean into it really hard and that's what I'm not ready for <laughs> is the, is the people who really embrace the villainous role and love being hated because they're so good yeah it's it's the classic wrestling heel move you know you're, you're you're hulk hogan one day and then all of a sudden uh kevin hart or not kevin hart uh you've got kevin nash and also razor ramon uh you know they need a third guy and all of a sudden it's like here comes hulk hogan and now it's hollywood hulk hogan it's is kansas city about to become hollywood hulk hogan here i mean uh you know they're a, they're a lovable team right now but they they have Hulk Hogan's colors too. That makes it even right. more similar. Look, staying with the wrestling analogy, perfect. The Rock was even a villain at one time in the WWE that he was like a he had a heel turn for a quick bit with Vince McMahon. So, yeah, I mean, I think you can see this in both staged entertainment and sports entertainment where these storylines sort of write themselves of being so good that everyone else hates you, right? And the Chiefs have what appears to be the the structure to do that with, you know, some of the offensive pieces. And Curtis, let's not forget, of the two teams in this Super Bowl matchup, the Chiefs are averaging less points scored against their defense than the Bucks at twenty point three versus twenty three point five. So the Chiefs are statistically allowing less points than even the Bucks 
vaunted defense. So there's a lot going for this Kansas City team right now. But look, winning back-to-back is tough. And they have to do it against maybe one of the toughest competition. <laughs> Only one other team has had to go up against this this person in their second matchup. And we know how that went. So it, it's going to be a tall, tall ask. But if they win, it's going to come with a big reward. Absolutely. And just kind of how in sports it ebbs and flows going from the celebrated to the hated, just on the other side of the football tomorrow, we're going to see somebody that I think early on in his career, Tom Brady, very celebrated. And then the amount of winning, just the absurd amount of winning that he did in New England became hated, became a villain in the NFL world. But now I think with Tampa Bay, a lot of football fans don't get that Patriots fatigue in this Super Bowl. And it's sort of almost an appreciation of the greatness that Tom Brady has for him to make it to a Super Bowl his very first season without Bill Belichick and the comfort of playing with the Patriots. Do you think Brady has kind of gone from a villain back to being celebrated here as he makes his 10th Super Bowl trip? I would say slightly more. I would say, like, if you polled people, if if this was happening with the Patriots, I'm sure there would only be, you know, 5 to 10% of fans who would be excited about what Tom Brady would be doing again. I think that number probably doubles now that he's in Tampa, that some of that sort of vitriol towards the Patriots goes away. He's away from Bill Belichick in that system. It's just him. But... I think there's still a good portion of people who just don't like Tom Brady for what name a reason winning his life lifestyle. You know what I mean? There's so many things people criticize him for justly and mostly probably unjustly here in this situation. So in while I'm talking about this, it almost makes me think about if you were to switch roles and Mahomes had all of these titles and was switching a team. Would he be getting more praise? And I think the answer is yes. I think Mahomes is just a more likable guy from a national perspective. Boss, It also coincided with Boston being the title town and Tom and the Bruins and the Celtics, and they all had their runs in there. And Very true. It just, they won, I think... It, they won an absurd amount of titles, like 12 or 13 during that decade. Right. No one's getting sick of Kansas City's, the, the Royals winning their <laughs> World Series title and Paul Rudd being over the moon. Like, no one's mad at Kansas City. I think as a sports community, we were mad at Boston. And I think some of that plays into, again, it's not fair to Tom Brady's legacy there. So I'm past hating him for that point. If they weren't playing the Chiefs, if this was the Raiders with Mahomes in this, I think I would be rooting for Brady just because I would love to see how far he could push his greatness. And it kind of stains a little bit of that New England legacy as well for Bill Belichick that he can do it without it. So I'm here for all of that. Taylor, I like that you brought up the collective fatigue I think the sports world had towards the city of Boston when they won so much. Shouldn't we be feeling that fatigue with Tampa in 2020, yes. 2021 here? Because... They've home of the Stanley Cup champs, the reigning Stanley Cup champs, home of the American League champion Tampa Bay Rays, home of the NFC champion Tampa Bay Bucks, and yet it, it feels as though, you know, it's kind of like, ah, 
it's Tampa's moment. Let's let them have it. And it's like, well, there are cities that would kill to have just one of those experiences. And Tampa, you know, their sports fan base isn't exactly the most, like, you know, gung-ho about their, their pro sports teams. And yet they're having this absurd run here over the last 365 days. You know. forgot one thing, too, Curtis. They got a basketball team to play in their city That's for true. a whole season. They got the Raptors there as well. So they have a, a former NBA Finals, uh, Eastern Conference finalist. You, you have a team, or pardon me, they were lost before the finals. But um, it, just what a team, what a run Tampa Bay is on. So, yeah, I think the, 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 if the Bucks win, I think Tampa Bay is going to be on my list for, yo, you're out. I'm not rooting for the Rays. You don't get any small city love anymore if the Bucks win. That's gone. I know. Maybe they can start filling their stadiums there finally. I mean, oy, oy, they, oy. Or at least like Rays fans don't even show up for games. And they have this amazing team to watch year in and year out. It's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, if you live on a golf course, why would you leave? Why would you go to a stadium? That's, but <laughs> Fair point. Very fair point. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, – I mean, we are so close to seeing just these scripts flipped tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch how how the Chiefs sort of handle that next step of the of their contention here going from the Darlings to the Villains. But uh, coming up in the next hour, we're going to get you a big three of the national sports scene, including – some major moves made in Major League Baseball yesterday and one this morning as well. But up next, what is the NFC West packing order after the Matthew Stafford trade, after the Rams went all in on their next quarterback? We talk that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in today's second hour, we got a big three coming your way, looking at some of the biggest headlines outside of the Super Bowl in the NFL, and then also get you our predictions for what goes down tomorrow in Super Bowl 55 between the Chiefs and the Bucks. Plenty in store for you in the second hour coming your way on Seattle Sports Saturday. If you missed any of the first hour, by the way, make sure you're downloading the podcast. 710sports.com, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcasts. We're right there for you. But, Taylor, the big move in the NFC West this week, really the big move in the NFL, and maybe even the biggest story of the Super Bowl lead-up is the trade made between the Lions and the L.A. Rams this week, uh, sending Jared Goff to Detroit as well as a haul of draft picks, two first-rounders beginning next season, so not – the 2021 season, but 2022 is when those draft picks head over to Detroit, as well as a third rounder for Matthew Stafford, a quarterback that there are all sorts of opinions on him. You've got people saying that he is elite. You've got people that say he's a bum. You've got people that are kind of saying like, yeah, he's okay. You can win eight, nine games with him, but is he really a great quarterback in this league? And, and Taylor, I want to get your take on on just where the NFC West kind of sits right now after this huge, huge first domino to fall in the offseason. You look at the Rams and, and how good they were in 2020 despite the quarterback play. 
Now they have a quarterback that I, I, I feel safe in saying is competent. Um, Jared Goff at times, very head-scratching. What do you make of Stafford joining this Rams team that always kind of felt like it was a quarterback away from being a truly great team? Look, I think they are sole second place in this division now. I think they jumped the Cardinals. I would have taken the Cardinals if it had been Goff. I would have predicted that Arizona would be my number two team. But I still think Seattle is in front. I just think, again, we know what you get with Russell Wilson here in this system. You know what you get with the receivers. And the defense was starting to come on at the end of the year, right? So... To me, there's still a lot of question marks about L.A., and the biggest of which, and I told you this off air, was they got raided for coaches. And it happened to Seattle. And we saw Seattle take a bit of a step back that first season when they were trying to figure out, you know, how to get the offensive line back in place, how to get the offense, uh, or pardon me, the defense and secondary back in place with some of the coaches who got picked off there. So it's uh, it's it's. It's a tough situation for Seattle to look at uh, L.A. get better, but I still think that L.A. is that number two team. Yes, I think they can win nine, ten games. I think they'll be around the same um, win total-wise. I think they'll take a step forward in production, but I just don't see them being the runaway favorites in the NFC West. Like There have been some people who say that now the Rams are far and away the favorites in the NFC West. What do you think, Curtis? Yeah, I think that's a great point you bring up about the Rams coaching staff getting picked apart the way it has this last, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks here with Brandon Staley going to the Chargers to be their head coach, Shane Waldron uh, and Andy Dickerson coming here to Seattle to run the offense. Uh, I mean, it is not going to be easy for the Rams to, you know, sort of bring in new blood and and their coaching staff, which is something they've done, it seems like, every single year. I know last year they got rid of defensive coordinator Wade Phillips, brought in Brandon Staley, uh, you know, uh, Matt LaFleur. He was their offensive coordinator. Now he's the head coach of the Packers. It seems like every single year the Rams just kind of churn out all these head coaches and coordinators across the league, and they do still – sort of hover around 10 and 6, 11 and 5, 12 and 4, what have you. Um, but at some point, you, you'd think that coaching staff turnover would have to catch up to them. To me, I think the great mystery in the NFC West right now is what will the 49ers look like? Because they have so many options right now as to what they can do on the offensive side of the ball and on the defensive side of the ball. We know when Kyle Shanahan has everything going, they are among the best teams in the NFL. But in his four years in San Francisco, he's had that just one time. And and is that an aberration? Was that year just you know, dumb luck in how good they were? Or was that how they can continue to do this? I look at the 49ers, and I think if they make a move at quarterback, and I'm not talking, you know, getting somebody that is a, a lateral move from Jimmy Garoppolo, but I'm talking going out and getting somebody that is better than him, I would, I think I would be more afraid of San Francisco than I would be of the Rams, even though they have Stafford now on offense and on defense they have Ramsey and Aaron Donald and all those guys. 
I just think the flexibility that San Francisco has with the amount of free agents they have, they can bring in you know, a really good amount. And then they're getting Nick Bosa back next year too. Yeah, no, look, if the Niners want to go out and make a deal for the quarterback and improve that position, we can have this, we can bring this topic back. We can readjust these rankings because I would, I definitely would. I agree with you, Curtis. And text from the 253, why are you sleeping on the Niners? Quarterback is the only reason, literally. And to me, Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have it. I don't think he has it between the years, more so than his actual physical ability. But you're right, Curtis. They have the coaches. They have the defensive players. They have the young, the young stable of athletes as well. They have some cap space to go, go out and make some deals. So I would elevate the Niners. But until they get that quarterback, I just see them floundering. And look, this is a tough division. We're talking about four really good teams, especially in the NFC. So... The fact that the Niners are fourth isn't – it is a disrespect in a way, but in in another way, being fourth in this division, you would run through other divisions, maybe not even just in the NFC, but some of these teams would be division leaders elsewhere if they weren't all in the NFC West. Absolutely, and I think when stacking up the four NFC West teams right now, I think – there is a consensus that the Cardinals are the fourth team when everybody is healthy, when everything is going right for all four of these teams. I just think the Cardinals are are missing something and maybe it it has to do with Cliff Kingsbury's decision-making as head coach, because you look at the quarterbacks that Kingsbury has had over the last like decade in his coaching, whether it be at Texas tech or in Arizona, he went through Baker Mayfield Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray and does not have a record above 500. I think that speaks more to the kind of coach that he is than the talent that he has had to coach because those three quarterbacks are really good at what they do. Mahomes obviously being a generational quarterback. Mayfield having, uh, I, I think he had a breakout season this year. I think he established himself as Cleveland starter going forward. And Kyler Murray is one of the most exciting players in the NFL. Uh, I mean, all of a sudden, it, it kind of comes back to Cliff Kingsbury and, and his decision-making in charge of Arizona. I think the Cardinals are are the easiest team to peg right now in the division. And that's because they just don't have what the other three teams do. And, you know, that's just someone who is in charge that makes the right moves. But that also feels like the most fixable of all of the situations, right? That cliff might be able to, you know, bring some voices in and around to help with some of those decisions and to help with some of the burden that he's put on himself to do all of this and to, Help them be more successful because Kyler Murray can play football and he can get outside the pocket and create. He has such a strong arm. He has such good vision of the field. And that's something that's really hard to teach quarterbacks in that anticipation. And he knows when that guy's right on his tail and to take that next step and to to sort of take it to the next gear. And you're right that they, they are missing something in that play calling sort of head of the, the beast that they need. But right now it feels fixable and it feels like if they can just get that on track a little bit, 
I'm scared of this Cardinals. Look, everything weird happens in Arizona at that stadium. So I don't want to have anything to do with them. I want them to be bad. And the fact that they're not, and it's a question, and all they have to do is just tweak a couple play calls and some decision making. Like, if they get the Danny O'Neill Madden stoner guy in there, who knows what could happen? (laughs) Quickly before we get to break here, Taylor, you look at these four teams – where do you see the Seahawks fitting in among these four? Are they still the cream of the crop, even though they, they got dusted by the Rams, or are they maybe number two in this division? Still cream of the crop to me. Again, like I said, Curtis, they got the head coach. The only big change was the the plays being called, which is probably going to be a benefit to them. Receivers like uh, Metcalf and Lockett, you know what I mean, that you've shown consistency on your offensive line when they were healthy. It just feels like this team is still until proven otherwise until they really get beat by these guys. It feels like it's the Seahawks to lose coming up in the next hour. We're going to take a trip around the NFL. Look at some of the biggest headlines as we've got just one more game left before the off season. But before we do that, we'll get you a big three. That's all next here on Seattle sports Saturday.